God is faithful and his word is what sustains us. And so let's dive into God's word as we continue in the Beatitudes. So if you would turn to Matthew 5, we have been studying our way through the book of Matthew, our series, our expositional series. And this this afternoon we are continuing. We're in the seventh Beatitude. If you would look at Matthew 5 and verse 9. Matthew, quoting our Savior, says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we humbly acknowledge you are Lord. You are King you are our Savior, you are our Father, you are, you are the one who has rescued us from the slavery of sin and brought us into your marvelous light. And Lord, as we read your word this afternoon, as we study your word this afternoon, we submit ourselves to your word that we might become more like your son. And becoming more like your son, that we might glorify your name. And so, Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts to see you in your word, we pray. And see how we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be. If we begin with the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes really reflect the life and ministry of our Savior, of Jesus Christ. And the Beatitudes describe what every Christian disciple is intended to be. And, and getting there is a lifelong journey. A journey through the Christian life. And when the disciples first heard this sermon and its radical message, it, it turned their lives upside down because they were confronted with a way of life in the kingdom of God that was completely opposite of all they had known. Poor and sorrowful and meek and hungry and merciful and pure did not describe the kind of kingdom they had expected to live in, the kind of kingdom that they were coming out of. For centuries, the Jewish people had been waiting for a Messiah, the, this promised deliverer who was going to free them 
from oppression, from the oppression of the kingdoms around them. And he would establish a kingdom that they believed would be militarily unconquerable so that they would never again have to give homage to, to somebody else or to live under someone else's sovereign rule. They wanted a, a conquering hero, not a, a humble, lowly carpenter who was meek and merciful. They wanted a conqueror, and they wanted their land back. That's what the Jews wanted, and they wanted their enemies crushed. They did not want a meek Messiah. And so it's not surprising that many Jews rejected Christ and the kingdom that he was bringing. But it is a kingdom that we who believe, who have come to faith in Christ, who trust in Christ, are born again. It is a kingdom that we now live in. It is a kingdom that we are to follow its rules and its regulations, so to speak. It is a kingdom that has wonderfully been described in these Beatitudes of how we live before God and how we live among one another. And Matthew 5, 9 is, is one of the, it, it, it begins to bring to the end these Beatitudes and it, it talks about our relationship with one another primarily blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now in this seventh beatitude it becomes clear that Jesus's kingdom is not going to be a military one. Not what the Jews expected but a spiritual one. One where the heart is changed and as the prince of peace who rules his kingdom with peace that's who this king is. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 7.2 calls Jesus the king of Salem, which is literally in Hebrew, shalom. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to call Jesus the king of peace. Now the Old Testament word for peace is shalom. It's a familiar greeting and, and, and saying goodbye among the Jews. It's a, it's a word that is rich in meaning and it conveys the idea of wholeness and, and health and well-being. And it, its translation really carries the idea of salvation. When we say or we hear shalom, and those who make peace are those who earnestly seek the shalom or the salvation of others, which perfectly describes our Savior which makes these Beatitudes make us look upward, not just outward. Now, in, in Jesus' new kingdom, peace was the very fabric of the life in the kingdom of God. Shalom was to be more than a greeting among these Jews and among us, or more than a goodbye, but a benediction of hope, a benediction of the way of life among God's people. That we seek the shalom of others. What a, what a challenging, what a challenging beatitude in a world that we live in that is always at war, in a, in a world that they lived in that was always at war, and where peace is, is very often just an illusion. Since the destruction of peace between God and, and man in the garden, humanity has been at war with God and with one another. I recently looked up a history of peace treaties and I was stunned to discover how many treaties were written over the past 2,000 years to try and create peace among 
people. Not surprisingly, all these treaties between governments and regions and cities and monarchies and even religious institutions failed in their attempt to avoid war and live in peace. The list of, of peace treaties that I saw was 68 pages long. Treaties that were continually broken, rewritten, or ignored altogether. Now, just in my short 66 years of life, um, wars and conflicts have been constant. I was born shortly after the Korean War, lived through the Cold War, the Vietnam War, the upheaval and division of the 60s, the troubles in Northern Ireland, the first Gulf War, the second Gulf War, just to name a few, and conflicts have not stopped since. The reality is peacemaking is simply not in our sinful DNA. That's, that's not what we lean into. We instinctively turn to conflict to resolve disputes. And ironically, we do it in an attempt to create peace. We think by, by our power, we can overpower our enemies, and that way we can have peace. And in this one beatitude, Jesus just turns it all upside down. He gives a worldview of what it means to be a peacemaker in this one beatitude. The Jews wanted peace. They certainly wanted peace, but a peace created by a military victory and sustained by military power. So imagine the turmoil these Jewish believers are experiencing at this moment as, as Jesus is telling them, if you want to be a disciple in my kingdom, this is how you are to live. You, you are to be a peacemaker. You are to bring peace. You are to truly be shalom, seeking the good and well-being and health and salvation of others. And they are to be like him, the prince of peace. Jesus is setting himself up as the example the one who came to make peace between God and man, removing sin, removing our sin by his sacrifice on the cross, the very cause of our alienation. He came in human flesh to be the final sacrifice that would end the alienation we have between God and us, the hostility that we have between God and us, and the hostility that we experience between one another. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, Paul writes, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You hear that? God has made peace with us through his Son on the cross by the shed blood. That is why we are at peace with God. That is why you sit here this afternoon. That is why you can lay your head on the pillow at night being at rest and at peace because you are no longer an object of God's wrath. You are an object of God's mercy because his son shed his blood for you on the cross. And as the prince of peace, he has made peace between God and us. And so now we are at peace with God. You might not experience peace around you. 
whether it's conflict in marriage or conflict in the neighborhood or conflict at work or just seeing the, what's on the news and conflict around the world, just in our own government, the division and conflict that exists. You, you can see all that swirling around you. You can understand. We just feel like we're at war all the time. And yet, at night, when you lay your head down, you are at peace with God. And that is the only real peace that exists in this world. Everything else, brothers and sisters, is an illusion. But the peace we have with God, it is real. And it is eternal. And it, it guards you. It guards your heart. And so Jesus makes this statement. I mean, it, until this moment, listen, until this moment on the cross the world has been in constant war with God, but Jesus, he, he made peace. And so we are to live in that peace. The greatest blessing that we can experience is to be at peace with God. But that, but that blessing extends beyond being just at peace with God. It means we're capable of being at peace with one another and bringing peace to one another. Jesus says here, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The blessing of being called the sons of God is of eternal importance. It, it denotes who we are in Christ. Notice Jesus doesn't say children of God here. The difference may seem slight, but, but it really is significant. When Jesus speaks of being called sons of God, he's not looking at gender male or female, but our identity in Christ, because our identity is not first male and female, but those who belong to Christ, who are united to Christ. We must always be careful not to read into Scripture what does not exist. Jesus is not making a gender statement here, leaving out female believers. He's making a statement about our lives being hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's talking to all believers and he's informing all believers of what their union with Christ means. What he what, what Paul is saying there is that your life is hidden with Christ and God. In a sense, when God looks at you, he doesn't see male or female. He sees Christ. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ over you. You are clothed in Christ. And so he's not making a, a gender statement here of one of male or female, but of identity. In Galatians 3, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is not male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So you see, Jesus is making this wonderful, wonderful declaration over our lives, saying, listen, because you are at peace with God, you are a peacemaker, and as a peacemaker, you are a son of God. You are part of the sons of God. You are identified with Christ. You are in union with Christ, and it is, it is really a, 
an assurance of telling you, you are a believer. When you live as a peacemaker, you are a believer. You belong to Christ. You are hidden with him. And so Jesus is, is making this not just simple one-line sentence of, okay, you're just, yeah, you're, but be, be a good peacemaker. He's, he's making a theological statement here. He's making a, a doctrine, giving you a doctrinal truth. You're united to Christ. You belong to him. These, these inspired words 2,000 years ago are not patriarchal. They do not diminish women as secondary believers, but but words that, that break down all human division, the divisions created by our sin. As disciples, again, we are one with Christ, not male and female, but as those saved by him. And so as, the, as, as sons of God, as those who belong to Christ, we are called to be peacemakers. So what does peacemaking look like for a disciple of Christ? Two, two quick points. One, a peacemaker helps others find peace with God by sharing the gospel. And two, a peacemaker brings peace where conflict exists. The first one, a peacemaker seeks to help others find peace with God by sharing the gospel. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? It means to bring shalom. It means to seek to bring shalom, the shalom of God, the salvation of God, by sharing the gospel, by telling others what Christ has done on the cross, what he has done in our lives, and what he can do, will do for them if they put their trust in him, if they see his finished work on the cross. It, it's, it's the greatest need our world has. The greatest need is the gospel. Real peace cannot come from anywhere else but through the gospel. We, we have what the world needs. We have the gospel. But it takes courage, and it takes faith, and it takes humility, and it takes sacrifice to share this gospel of peace with others who don't want to necessarily hear it. People typically do not clamor to hear the gospel. But we're called to be peacemakers. And the first place that we can make peace is to help others come to peace with God. To, to come to faith in Christ through our sharing of the gospel because it's the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. It is not who we are. It is the gospel that we tell them that brings people to saving faith and brings them to be at peace with God. I know people don't want to hear it, but share the gospel we must. And when we do, Jesus says, we'll be blessed. We'll have assurance of, of who we are. We'll know our identity in Christ, which far exceeds anything we have in this world. Being, being at peace with God allows us this privilege and joy of helping others come to peace with God. It's hardly surprising that this particular blessing, which is given to peacemakers, that they are called sons of God, um, they're just doing what Jesus has done. We're just imitating our Savior. It, it's not surprising that we are going to bring peace because of the Prince of Peace. 
And so as, as those who have come to faith in Christ, we are called to be peacemakers. Isaiah 52, 7 describes those who are peacemakers. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The gospel, it brings peace. And that is what we are called to do. Yet, Jesus doesn't restrict peacemaking to only gospel sharing. A disciple of Christ is a peacemaker in the broadest sense of the word. He, he or she not only shares the gospel, but seeks to lessen tensions and bring solutions and help communication and reduce conflict so that God's peace can intervene in times of anger and division and separation, and, and particularly in the church and in the home, but also in the world around us. So the second point is this. First, not only are peacemakers those who seek to find, help, uh, help others find peace by sharing the gospel, a peacemaker sing, seeks to bring peace where conflict exists. And that can be just as difficult. When you see two people who are at odds with one another, whether it's your, your children and, and the, the siblings are at war with one another, which can often happen, or in, in a marriage situation where you see your friends who are in conflict, or you're in conflict, we, we are to seek to bring peace where conflict exists. And that includes our own marriages or our own relationships. We seek to bring peace where conflict exists. Paul urges his Ephesian readers, he says, be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace, be eager. It can be easier at times to give in to conflict than to maintain peace. Marriage and friendships and unruly neighbors, you name it, whatever it is relationally that is, we're at war or there's conflict or tension Paul implores the church to be eager to maintain peace. The first place we must seek to bring peace is first in our own hearts and then seek to be peacemakers with others. It's no surprise that, that far too many marriages and friendships and parent-child relationships and churches are undone, undone because people are not eager to keep this beatitude. I think Paul's word to be eager states a lot for us. We, we must choose to be peacemakers so that bitterness and resentment and strife and gossip and slander do not unravel all the relationships that we have. James talks about just gossip and the tongue that one small spark can start a forest fire that can can burn up everything around it. And that has happened in church after church. It happens in families. It happens among friends. It is because we are not eager to be peacemakers. We are not eager to keep the bond of peace. Paul's appeal is simple but powerful. 
God has made peace with you. He has forgiven you. He has covered your sin. He has sacrificed for you. He continues to always seek fellowship with you. Oh, Christian, let that attitude rule and reign in your heart and pursue peace with others. He tells us, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, when he's talking about peace in that passage in Colossians, Paul is not talking about the peace we have with God. His intent, and as you read the content of the passage, it's about ruling peace among one another. That word rule literally is where we get the word umpire from. Let God's peace, that you have now peace with God, let that peace rule, umpire your heart among the church, among your family. Let it rule over you. Peace is to act as an umpire. Let peace be an umpire in your heart amidst the conflicts of your marriage. How, how easy it is just to, in anger, say something because it feels so good to say it. But Proverbs 15.1 gets violated at that moment. Proverbs 15.1, if you, if you remember that passage, remember that Proverbs 15.1? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. That's not letting peace rule our hearts. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary, said this, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 is one that should inform us how critical and how important peace is to our Savior. To disrupt peace in a church fellowship is to despise both the prayers of Christ and the blessing of Christ. To disrupt peace in a local church or in our marriage, in our family. To disrupt peace is literally to despise the prayers of Christ and the blessing of Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We, we are peacemakers and we seek to help others to be at peace with God. And we are peacemakers when we seek to bring peace where conflict exists. Peacemaking is possible. As those of us who are now at peace with God, and if you are not at peace with God, if you are not a Christian, if you're not sure you're a believer, you are not at peace with God. And, and you will not know real peace ever until you come to be at peace with God. But the gospel promises, it's the good news, that if you turn to Christ and you trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life, he will, you will be born again and he will bring you to be at peace with God the Father. 
if you are at peace with God, peacemaking is possible. And so as those who are at peace with God, the gospel promises that God's Spirit dwells in us to empower us to be peacemakers. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead empowers us to share the gospel of peace and help others find peace. In a, again, Ephesians 4, 3, Paul writes, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word eager should be our attitude because it reflects Christ's attitude who is eager to make peace with us. So as we, as we go away today, as we, we close, just a few questions, just a question, is there someone you're not at peace with? If there is, who's, who's, who's possibly come to mind at this moment, if there is someone you are not at peace with, be eager to bring peace to that situation. If there are people that you know do not know Christ, be eager to share the gospel that they might come to faith in Christ. Be eager to bring peace where conflict exists. Father, thank you that you have made us at peace with you. Lord, we are no longer objects of wrath, but we are objects of mercy. We are no longer under condemnation, but we are under grace. And Lord, may that grace not only remind us of our peace with you, but may it compel us and propel us to help others to be at peace with God and with one another. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.